Good morning. I'm Anna Marie, and it's time for Focus. Today, we're talking about Nurture the Next. Find out what it is, who it helps, and how you can help. And our guest today is Jen Vida, Jennifer Vida, the Chief Program Officer with Nurture the Next. Yay! I feel so welcome when I come here. It's Good. like winning a prize or something. Thanks for having me back. I feel like you needed to just burst through that big paper I did. banner. It was, yeah, it's like a grand opening, and here I come. Nurture the Next, brand new, reinvented for 2022. Is it? I mean, kind of, hasn't with, everything been reinvented since, and since re, you know, reimagined and really brought out the uh, ability to adapt and survive and pivot? Um, pivot has been a key word. Pivot has been a very, you know, what word I don't want to hear again is unprecedented. Well, I would never want to hear that word again. But pivot, I'm good with. Okay, good. So yeah. first of all, tell people what nurture the next is and what it's about. Nurture the Next is a nonprofit organization. We have been around since the early 1980s. We are the statewide chapter of Prevent Child Abuse America, and every state in the country has one. So we, for many years, were known as Prevent Child Abuse Tennessee. Mm -hmm. We had a rebranding that actually happened the year that we also went into a pandemic. It's a great time to do a rebranding. And became Nurture the Next, uh, which is a much better articulation of what we want our vision to be, which is to see all children thriving in safe, stable, nurturing environments, um, safer communities, safer homes, a safer world. And by safer, you mean what? I mean safety, not just in physical safety. I mean, really, the well-being. When we talk about health and well-being, we don't only talk about physically how we are. That's, of course, important. But we're talking about the ability to have collective prosperity. We're talking about our mental health, which is critical, as we know. Um, We're talking about feeling connected, feeling connected to a larger purpose, um, which really enhances people's quality of life. And we know that that starts really early in that bonding that babies get from the onset. That kind of is really pivotal in that trajectory of where they're going to go. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we are all about those programs and that advocacy and that education that talks about this in a way that presents a sense of urgency around it. That is one of the challenges um, that we have when talking about our work, actually, is you think, okay, you know, kids don't remember, babies don't remember what happens to them. And, you know, toddlers are not going to remember. And it's not really that important. It's critically important because it lays the actual foundation for a person's brain. It's like if you think about the foundation of a house, if that foundation, that brain development and foundation is really stable and strong from the beginning, you're setting that child up for well-being in general. So, which is what we all want, right? right. We, we, whether we are parents ourselves or that we choose to have children or not, we love children, we are around children, and we know that our communities in the future, these children are going to be the ones doing all those things. There's this like joke that say, remember, they'll be taking care of you in the nursing homes and in the hospitals. Right. That's a joke, but it actually goes beyond that. I mean, we are nurturing the next, essentially. Every single time that we interact with a child, we have a hand in what our future is going to look like. And we take that really seriously. So we got to get in early. Okay. And what are the things that we need to do to get in early and enhance a child's life? And starting at what age? Honestly, uh, when a mom finds out she's pregnant is when we can start working with a mom. Ooh, doing what? Something called evidence-based home visiting. 
through, we offer a model called Healthy Families America. There are um, multiple models around the state and around the country that do similar work. Um, and it is proven to be the most effective way to uh, create uh, safe, stable, nurturing homes. It is the clearest, most evidence-based supported way to prevent child abuse and neglect. Wow. There is a multiple, uh, multiple studies, so much data. Um, we collect a lot of outcomes. So we collect a lot of like numbers and seeing, you know, what are the calls to DCS and have these folks been enrolled in these programs? And DCS meaning? DCS meaning Department of Children's Services. Thank you. I get so caught up in the jargon because I live this day to day. But um, <laughs> Department of Children's Services, really, you know, we, we want families to remain together, right? Mm-hmm. We don't want them ever to have to interact and when someone calls the Department of Children's Services, that means what? We are not affiliated. We do not work with Department of Children's Services. We are an independent nonprofit. We do prevention work, and all of our services are voluntary. When you call the hotline number, you're actually saying, I'm requesting for a service to be performed. I have knowledge that a child is being you know, abused or neglected, or I have information that seems like that, and it is basically saying, I think that a well check or something should be performed. And oh. that's what happens when you call Department of Children's Services. So, okay. Um, and we're trying to prevent that yeah. with Nurture the Next. Yes, we are trying to prevent that. We are trying to prevent, wow, so this makes me a little emotional, but really developing a lifetime of, there are things in life that we are not going to be able to prevent, that no matter how hard we try, you know, there folks get sick and they die. We go through pandemics. Um, we have natural disasters. There are lots of things that are just going to happen in life. There are a lot of things that can be prevented a lot by giving us as human beings from when we're little a really solid foundation and building resilience. And resilience is something that is cultivated. So the ability to like bounce back or deal with trauma or toxic stress or something that might come into our lives, just a devastating loss that kind of gets us off of that path that we have been on or the the life as we know it, our day-to-day stability can be changed in an instant and it can be completely unavoidable. When we talk about developing healthy human beings and healthy adults, you, it all starts in infancy and childhood, right? It actually starts in utero. And so our programs, whether they be our nurturing parenting program that are that we offer across the state that are our group parenting um, classes at five weeks in length, to evidence-based home visiting, to the trainings that we do, to Nurture TN. We'll talk a little bit about that. It's our text-based mentorship platform that we have, obviously. Lots of folks like to communicate now via text and maintain sure. a level of anonymity. Um, though Those programs are teaching parents and teaching those that are around children interact with children which is all of us Mm -hmm. that what we do and how we treat them and what we focus on as a society matters and it matters more than just this feels good oh it feels good for me to take food to a food bank oh it feels good for me to give diapers at a diaper drive all those things are really important but there it's critical that we go beyond that it's a responsibility that we all there. And yes, it begins in the home, but the truth is that no one lives in a vacuum. No one lives on an island. Uh, you know, we are a community and you, you have to support parents and you have to support families if you want your society to be healthy, if you want to be safe. And the reason we start with the families as, as soon as, for example, as soon as a woman finds out she's pregnant is 
partly because if the child needs to learn resiliency and to learn good habits and to be modeled good behavior, we have to help the parent get there. Um, yes. So all of our programs, actually, philosophically, everything we do is based on what we call the two-gen approach. Two-gen. Two two-gen, which means two generations. Okay. And, you know, there's three generations, you know, depending on who you are, your culture, you might live with, you know, parent and grandparent, great-grandparent. You might just live with a parent. You know, families right. look different. Um, but that two-gen is very critical because we have to break cycles. Oh, right. So if you, you know, if, if you are a parent and you come into our program and you say, I know that I have a lot to learn because no one is ready to be a parent and have all the answers to every single thing. Yeah. And we are expected, I think, to do that. It's just supposed to come naturally to us. Right. We're supposed to figure it out and figure it out along the way. You don't know and, what to do. I mean, no. hello. Like, we prepare for everything else. And the most important job, being a parent, we're just kind of set out there on our own to sink or swim. And you know? we're, we're dealing with all that we know being what our parents showed us or taught us or didn't show us or teach us. Exactly. Um, we are very influenced by how we grew up, again, our culture, the messages that we get in society, the parenting trends. You know, we uh, think of Dr. Spock and all his best practices to ferberizing to, you know, all of these things that then we we find out later, oh, maybe that's not the best course of action. Or mm-hmm. you know, maybe we've learned this about the brain or we've learned this about development because things take time to test out. So, you know, as we know better, we do better. Really, that's that's the truth. And that's what parents in our programs want to do. They come to us voluntarily. And so we are working on two generations at a time. We're working on that um, secondary and tertiary, the second and third level of prevention, which is obviously this parent is reaching out, trying to deconstruct, understand and then change behaviors to be uh, the best parent that they can be and to be nurturing and loving and understand things like how important it is for them to have empathy for their children. That ah. That's super important and critical to that is them having empathy, empathy for themselves. Go back to that a little bit. Okay. So it it is a critical component imagining what it's like to be in your child's shoes at that moment. Mm-hmm. It's it's hard to do that. We're, we're human beings. We get tired. We get anxious. We have our own, you know, stressors. Everybody's situation is different. You have to really dig deep <laughs> to remember like, hmm, do I remember what I felt like when I was three? And just because you might not, quote unquote, be able to recall a memory does not mean that all of the interactions and all of the experiences that you had did not profoundly influence the way that your brain develops. I talked to a psychologist recently. We were talking about uh, children mm-hmm. and being forced to go to holiday gatherings, being yeah. forced to hug somebody that yes. they did not want to hug. Yes. So we're basically saying it doesn't matter. Your desire doesn't matter. We're going to force you to let someone else touch your body against your will. Right. Because what you want doesn't matter. Right. So that falls into what we call the oppressing power and independence. So if you are always saying no, 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 without an occasional obligatory yes or offering choices, you are oppressing a child's power and independence. They are not going to learn how to make good decisions because 
They have never been able to make decisions. Think about what it is like walking through the world as a child. Now, no one's saying that a parent should not make decisions for their child for safety reasons and health reasons and all of that. But there is we are not we are not raising robots, machines. You know, we are raising people who need to be able to negotiate the world Ah. without you sitting there telling them what to do all the time. Whoa. So, you know, it is okay to say things like. I understand this is where the empathy piece comes in. I understand that this is very disappointing to you. I, I, I understand. But you cannot do this and let me tell you why you can't. And, of course, it depends on the child's level of development sure. at that point there. You know, this is what we talk about in all our parenting classes. And yeah. Evidence-based home visiting is understanding that sort of brain development and having appropriate expectations of what they're going to know and not know oh, at a certain point. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, so your child has to eat vegetables, right? So it's dinner time, and dinner time is a nightmare because it's a fight every night, like not gonna eat vegetables. So, not that this is gonna work for everyone, but one of the ways that we, we use as an example for like not oppressing that power and independence is as a parent, you're like, okay, you have to learn to eat different foods. It's important for your development. There's vitamins, you have to eat vegetables, you know, critical nutrition. I have a responsibility as a parent to teach you this. But here's three options of what I can make tonight that are veg- veggies. What do you think? Which which do you think I should make? And you want to help me prepare it? And you want to think about, like, what might make it taste better to you? And, you know, you're involving – you're basically saying there are boundaries. You have to eat the vegetables. Yeah. But let's make some choices here. So oh. let's give you some latitude within those boundaries that are important. That all falls into that, you know, empathy. And, and empathy is sort of this construct that – that is, again, the undercurrent and the overcurrent, kind of almost like um, sandwiches everything else that you do, wow. right? And so when you're talking about having empathy for your child, it is very difficult to do that if you don't have empathy for yourself. What does that mean? That means that you give yourself some grace. That means that you think about how you move through the world, how you um, forgive yourself or grant yourself permission to be human and that forgiveness when you misstep because you know mistakes are made every day uh relationships are ruptured sometimes and that means there's there's a disruption you know if you and I don't see eye to eye on something and we you know we kind of have it out right whatever that means and we sort of stare at each other down the hall for a week or whatever and you know we don't say anything eventually if we were colleagues, we would have to repair that relationship. That yeah. would mean sitting down and saying, okay, let's let's talk this through. What yeah. I am asking for your forgiveness for the way that I've treated you, and I'm going to forgive myself for, like, having that weakness and, like, carrying it and letting my feelings get the best of me or my emotions. Most important to that, to having empathy for yourself, and most important to being able to have empathy for your child on both fronts is being able to identify your emotions you know, <laughs> we have a pretty limited emotional vocabulary of the way that we talk about how we feel about things. Oh, And for children, they have to be taught how to express what they're feeling. They Rather have to than be, the yeah, temper tantrum. Yes, they have to be taught to put it into words. So between three and six, they're developing their emotional intelligence, right? So you have this time where parents will experience like lots of temper tantrums, twos and threes. And it is because a child is 
overstimulated, upset, has all these emotions. They're big emotions. They're taking over and they don't know how to express it. They don't have any way to get that out. Right. And it manifests as a temper tantrum. As a parent or someone who interacts with a child, the best thing to do is to talk about, you know, obviously it takes a minute to get them calmed down and all of that. But once that happens, say, I could see that you're really upset. Let's let's try to talk about how are you feeling? I want to I want to show you some words. I want to like have this conversation with you and putting your own feelings into words too. Like if your child comes to you and you're crying and says, "Mommy, what's wrong?" and you say, "I'm just feeling really sad because" or "I feel joyful and happy." So what you see are tears because I feel very I feel very like surrounded with love right now or very appreciated like people really love me and like having those conversations and using those words with children is how you start the empathy in general. You have to have vocabulary to do that. Wow. We need that with each other. We do. All of us. We do. So, yes, developing that with each other, but particularly with those relationships that are close to us and those relationships where we rely on each other for support and we, you know, work collaboratively and where we're all, you know, living in community. I think it's important to know how to do those things. So when you're teaching parents to be able to have empathy for their kids, you first have to teach them how to do it with themselves, how to identify their emotions, how to verbalize it so they can teach that to the kids. That's the two, Jen. You're really doing both at the same time. Okay. If you've just joined us, I'm Anna Marie, and this is Focus, and we're talking today about Nurture the Next, and our guest is Jen Vida, the Chief Program Officer of Nurture the Next. So we start with the foundation. Yep. When the mom finds out she's pregnant, Mm -hmm. how do they reach out to you? How do you get that info? So... We actually uh, have parents come to us a variety of ways. So we get referrals from community partners, from medical providers, hospitals, social workers, nurses, daycares, Mm -hmm. all of that. Um, And folks can also self-refer to our programs because, as I said earlier, our programs are 100% voluntary. No one is mandating anyone to take a class or to enroll in any program Mm -hmm. with us. They are 100% voluntary. And they're there because they want to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if, you know, someone is listening and is interested in finding out either how to enroll in our programs or find out more about us um, or wants to, they have a friend maybe that's pregnant or that has children that could use some support going on our website at nurturethenext.org. Um, there is a page to self-refer and someone will contact you within a few days. Uh, is there a fee? There is no fee. All of our services are free. They're free and they're confidential. And one of the most important things that we do through our programming is provide folks with the resources that they need. Like? Like if you need a medical home for yourself or your child, meaning like a doctor or, you know, a, a for, for your child, like having a pediatrician is really important. So do, does your child have a pediatrician? Do you need that? Um, we have folks in our programs that are food insecure. So directing them to resources that we know about that can help with that. We have um, folks in our programs that need assistance with diapers or, you know. So we have a broad network of connections across the state to connect parents if we can't provide it ourselves. And mm-hmm. we can provide some of these things, not all of them. Um, we can connect folks to others that can help them. It's a lot to manage depending on the level of what you're currently dealing with in a home. And we're at a critical juncture in our society and lots of folks are struggling. So Mm -hmm. they need that extra assistance and there's nothing wrong with them. It's 
the world that we live in and mm-hmm. the circumstances of the way that things happen. Again, some of those things that are outside of our control, right? Yeah. Um, so a lot of times people who are reaching out for help, I would imagine if they're struggling for medical care or for diapers or if they're food insecure, I would guess that a lot of times they're probably so busy trying to work two or three jobs and try and just keep a roof over the heads. Are there certain things that you start this, do this first? I'm going to speak specifically about our largest long-term program that offers the most intense level. We call the most intense level of service and like grows with the, with the family that's in the program. Mm -hmm. Pregnant women can enroll from the time that they find out that they're pregnant all the way up until the baby's third month birthday. So it is a pretty narrow enrollment window time for that program, but it is because it is a five-year program and all of the critical foundational things that they learn are from like birth. And we know that the outcomes are best when we get in as early as possible. Wow. We come in and it is more about what is it that you are, are hoping for? What are your goals? What do you think that you could use support around? And that is how it starts, right? Can we come see you? Are you okay? Will you open up your home to us? This is who we are. This is what we do. Um, but it's very much led by the family. People need to still feel respected and have their dignity and have their privacy. Correct. And not just feel like you're my next good deed. Yeah, right. Or you're my next project. Yes. I'm going to fix you. Oh. It's like the musical Wicked, which. <laughs> I love pop culture references. And it's basically, you know, the song popular when Glinda's like, I'm going to fix you, Alphaba. I'm going to make you popular. Not as popular as me. You're my new project. Oh. And, you know, musicals. But <laughs> we don't do that. We're not fixing anyone. We're No one is our project. Yeah. We are literally there to support, coach, inform, um, and and hopefully magnify the strengths that folks have that they don't see in themselves. The number of times that we hear from our home visitors that work directly with families that no one has ever told them that they were good at anything or that they could achieve anything is just so many mixed emotions explode because on one hand, you're like, that is the saddest thing. Wow, I'm overwhelmed by, by that. And then on the other hand, you're like, but... Like someone told you that they believe in you, someone that you respect, someone that you invite back time after time and you believe them. Uh, And that's so wonderful. It's like opening up a new door, uh, really a new world of possibilities. We all need that. And some Mm -hmm. people have it with grandparents. Yep. And some people don't get it at all. Yes. Yes. And they need you need that. We do. You need somebody has to believe in you. Somebody has to believe in you. And you sometimes can't pull it out of yourself. (laughs) You don't have empathy for yourself. We are usually hardest on ourselves, right? We discount a lot of things. There are certain coping mechanisms that, you know, people develop when they had, you know, a lot of toxic stress or trauma in childhood that are things like you can't, you don't accept compliments very well, right? right? So immediately you turn it into something else. You look great today. What, these old rags? Yeah. Like, do I? I mean, I just hopped out of bed. It, you know, instead of saying like, yeah, I do look great. Thank you. I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Like, it, that is a response. And so uh, that is all part of that, like giving yourself grace and sort of retooling your mind. And, you know, when we talk about that building of resiliency, if you don't have that resilience sort of fostered in you, from childhood on, 
then it's just harder. It's it's more challenging. It doesn't mean that you don't have resilience and it doesn't mean that you, you know, are gonna are doomed through some seal of fate to live miserable. It doesn't mean any of those things. But when you foster resi- resilience in children, we talk about it in our programs as like putting layers of invisible shields on children, right? So every time that you have a positive interaction and you nurture or you help them um, deal with a situation that's uncomfortable, like, you know, maybe said somebody said something mean to them at school or, you know, you're having a conversation about how, you know, going to the doctor and like how scary that is, whatever it may be. And you have that conversation and are there and nurture, you're putting another invisible shield around your child. So when they go out into the world, they have armor. And so they might have an interaction that sort of, you know, is is hurtful to them or they might maybe lose one of those shields, but they have lots more underneath. And so that's what we talk about when we talk about fostering resilience. I love that. That just encourages me to help add layers of resiliency to everybody I know. In the reverse, if you hear bad things about yourself enough, you're also going to believe that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you're stupid. You, you know, you're never going to be good at that. You make me miserable. You are a bad kid that, you know, doesn't, why do you make my life so hard every day? And Mm -hmm. you hear that enough and that starts to become an inner monologue and you're talking to yourself 80% of the time and that's what you're hearing, right? In early um, infancy, you know, the first year, the brain grows in volume exponentially, the 80 or 90 percent by the first year of life. So the first three years are critical in that brain development. And every time that we interact with a, a child, right, there's a there's a serve and return. We call it serve and return, which is a tennis term, right? I serve and you return it back to me and then we volley back and forth. So that same sort of analogy is like, a child sends out serves, so sends out a signal of some kind, um, and you respond to that signal. Every time that those interactions are happening, there are thousands of synapses firing and developing in the brain in those early years. When I put this out, that's what's going to come back. Yes. So that is what develops things like your brain development, but also attachment. Right. Attachment is critical to survival for infants. It's the same as food and, you know, safety and shelter. That mm-hmm. attachment and bonding is critical because the parent is the food and the safety. Yes. And shelter. So it is like the child is a child It without being able to obviously, you know, have this inner dialogue that says, OK, mom is safe. That's the messages that are developing in the brain. Do I, am I developing an anxious attachment where I'm not sure, am I going to get a response if I cry or, Um. you know, how's this going to go? Or is it, am I not going to get a response at all? In which case I might become avoidant, right? Where I might have no expectations. I turn my head when people talk to me. I don't have that. Or am I, you know, having a a healthy bond and attachment where I know my needs will be met through that like serve and return in that contact. Mm -hmm. And that really is pivotal in brain development. And that's why I say so many times that anyone that's doing any kind of like early child, you know, infant mental health, any kind of like work and really all families need support at at a different level, right? Some may just need, 
you know, an initial like check, like, do you have everything that you need? Are you good? Do you know where to go all the way up to, you know, we need, I mean, I'm going to support you through this. I'm going to walk through this with you and I can be here up to five years yeah. with you working. And we're not um, talking about just poor families. No, poor families no, need support. No. People who have higher incomes, we don't need it. They don't need it. Everyone needs support. Yeah. Some people do have that built-in support system mm-hmm. and they have the resources to get it. A lot of people don't or people don't feel comfortable with the resources that they have. The point is that everybody needs everybody needs support. Like yeah. Again, babies don't come with instructions. There's no you don't pull out your Ikea manual and say, OK, picture number one. This right. is what I have to do first. No, it, it's really important that we send that message of this cannot wait. Right. It's critical that we do this now. We're losing time. And it is a challenge for this work to convince folks or not even convince them, but just help them to arrive at the understanding that this is critical work that cannot wait. Right. Right. We cannot wait. Yes, there's 18 years. It's eight and it's an 18 years, some arbitrary number like 18 that we've decided is like grown. Right. So in 18 years, then we'll be able to see the fruits of our labor. Well, yeah, but also no, because <laughs> there's so many factors here and you have to get in now because we know that this is true. We yeah. know the ACE, the adverse childhood experiences, our research into toxic stress and trauma, child development, how the brain, the amazing discoveries from a neurological standpoint that we've done with how the brain develops. We know all these things now. And we have a responsibility to respond to it. Any final thoughts? Any final thing you'd like to make sure that our listeners know? I would like to, first of all, thank you and thank everyone who listened to this and is hopefully going to share it and share share this information because it is relevant to everyone. Um, I also encourage anyone who has not learned about adverse childhood experiences and ACEs to do there's a 15, 16 minute podcast that you can go on. Just look on the Internet. Literally, it's as simple as average childhood experiences and learn about those. They're critically important and that there's there's lots of resources and help out there through us. We have uh, multiple programs. We have statewide programs, uh, Nurture TN. So for any moms that are um, currently pregnant or have a child up to a year, they can enroll very easily in our text-based mentorship program where like seasoned, seasoned, experienced mommies sort of match and they have a text-based mentor relationship. It's oh, called Nurture TN. It's called what? Nurture TN, okay. which is very cool. We can There's information about that on our website as well. And Parenting TN dot org is our companion site specifically for parents where there is a bunch of like quizzes that you can take and videos that you can watch um, to interact with children and find resources and last but not least i always like to mention that we do have two statewide helplines one is the parent helpline and that is 1-800-CHILDREN and the second is our statewide domestic violence helpline. Um, Nurture the Next runs a statewide domestic violence helpline and it has for many years where we can connect folks with safe shelter, resources, all the things that they need. And that is 1-800-356-6767. And of course, just to get general information, your website is nurturethenext.org is our website nurturethenext.org thank you so much for joining us thank you that is Jennifer Vida the Chief Program Officer with Nurture the Next we're going to put all the links and all the information on our Focus Facebook page make sure you join us again next week I'm Anna Marie and that's Focus